Hi, welcome to Starbucks. Hi, I'm here to talk about race. Sometimes I think only people of color really talk about race, and white people like me are afraid of the topic. But to me, the only real question is... Can I help who's next? Exactly. How does each of us help the person who's next in line for the American dream? The important thing is to be caring, planning, and laissez-faire. Caramel flan latte, what's the name? Exactly. What's the name for our failure to connect action to the issues of race? No, what's your name? Hubert. Caramel flan latte for Hubert. That's not my name. I could just write random white dude on your cup. You can pick it up over there from that guy. His grandmother is Anita Hill. Really? That's amazing. Just messing with you, Hubert. Can I help who's next? Today on the nose is a Starbucks line the right place for a delicate conversation. Also, the sorry state of sports team names and the rise of new technologies we probably won't remember in a year. And now he was fired from his night job as Aaron Shock's decorator, Colin McEnroe. Yeah, the ostrich feathers were my idea. Um, it just didn't work out. All right, so, uh, but that's not one of our topics today, so don't get nervous. Um, joining us, first of all, in the studio are, are Carolyn Payne. If I try to list all the things she does, we'll be here a long time, but she is a dancer and dance impresario and a comedian and a writer and an actress and I don't know. Uh, that, that'll do. That's fine. That'll do, yeah. <laughs> Denise Dugan from Heartbeat uh, Ensemble is here with us. Uh, she's also a new... How old is your baby now? Seven months. Seven months. Mm-hmm. She had this baby... When she was supposed to be on the nose seven months ago, like on that day. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of a nose baby. Uh, and uh, our nose first baby. nose baby. And <laughs> he goes by the sound name nosy, actually. <laughs> it doesn't sound good, though, nose baby somehow. He's a know. nosy baby, though. Nosy baby? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So he'll just have to live with that. Uh, James Hanley's here from Trinity Cine Studio. Uh, and you're here as well, hopefully. And uh, we do encourage you to call in. I'll give out the number once we've established a topic or two. Our first topic is going to be this rather peculiar initiative announced by the CEO of Starbucks, Howard Schultz, uh, <clears throat> who said that he would like uh, Starbucks to be a place where people talk about um, delicate issues of race, about the problems of race in America. Some of this has been occasioned, I think, by uh, Ferguson, Staten Island, uh, and he's made that kind of clear. But And he wants his baristas to be ready to be and, and willing and able to talk to customers about race. Um, and so we're in week one of this. Uh, I'm not sure there's going to be a week two. Um, but... Um, well, first of all, uh, Tanisha, you pointed out – I actually think the best tweet on this and the best comment on this does so far belong to uh, Gwen uh, Eiffel. I don't know. You want to be the one to summarize that one? Absolutely. Well, she says, you know, if, you, if you're going to talk to me about race before I have my morning coffee, it's not going to be a good morning or a good way for it's you to start. It's not going to go start. well, yeah. It's not going to go well. Um, I love that tweet. But, I mean – you know, James, actually, it's time. For, let's go early rather than uh, hold ourselves in suspense for the most sinister, sinister dark uh, conspiracy motivation laden explanation of this. So, I mean, is this something as Howard Schultz, just kind of a nice guy, wants to get America talking about race? Or, I mean, by the way, you're free to elect that option. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to pigeonhole you. Say that. I don't, I don't <laughs> want to pigeonhole you. To a corner yeah. I don't want to typecast you. <laughs> What do you think the motivation is for doing something like this? Excuse me while I remove my horns. Yeah. Um, well, I sort of think in any sort of situation like this, I mean, I think Schultz is actually a good guy generally. He's said some good things, but I can't help feeling in a, in, in a setting where it's a large corporation that needs to get noticed and needs the word Starbucks out there. 
that there isn't some sort of like feeling of like, well, it doesn't hurt to do this. And maybe some people around him might say this is going to be awkward and stuff like that. But, you know, you could easily say in that boardroom, well, come on, this is going to cause a huge stir, which it has, of course. We're talking about it. The word Starbucks gets mentioned and it sort of brings it into the currency. And I, I think so much of it, it's not like some sort of really a dark conspiracy. It's just a commercial thing, really. And I mean, as far as the substance of it is concerned, I think it would be really great if there were good conversations going on about the substance of racism. I, I mentioned, I think, in our interchange, uh, Chris Hayes on MSNBC actually saying that, you know, it's not a conversation about race. It's about racism, how people act and they actually do things that are bad and people feel empowered to be racist and act out. And there are lots of toxic consequences from that. That conversation should happen more and needs to happen and needs to happen sort of outside of the commercial sphere. So it's almost like Starbucks is kind of irrelevant to that. Mm. And it just seems like a kind of awkward thing that you wouldn't, you know, like like I I think that most commercial establishments actually tell their help uh, behind the counter don't provoke don't yeah. you know mm-hmm. don't go after your customers because we want them to think about our product I have to say the conversation on Chris Hayes has to be one of the most interesting yes uh, <laughs> to sort of come out of it um, one of the panelists was speaking to someone who she couldn't see yeah uh, and she was making an indication like oh you've just turned your voice into this hip-hop black voice how did you do that? Why did you do that? And the young well, man said, well, actually, I'm black. <laughs> and so there was this amazing conversation that was starting to begin yeah. about race, about the systems of race that even when you are a person of color, you're still a part of. Right. It, was, it was brilliant. I loved it. I agree. That was one of those rare moments when it seemed to, something seemed to happen. Mm-hmm. So I have this theory. First of all, let me just say, uh, as we go along here, if you either have tried this or would never try this, I mean, at Starbucks, uh, 860-275-7266, or if you wonder what kind of idea this really is, 860-275-7266. So, Carolyn, one thing that I have thought about, and Carolyn and Tanisha and I have all implicitly field-tested this, <laughs> uh, this whole thing. We went to a Starbucks, and, we, and various things happened. But one of the things that I thought is, you know, in some ways, you know, to have a conversation about race, you have to feel kind of safe usually. It has to be a pretty uh, environment where everybody feels kind of safe or drunk, uh, which is an illusory version of feeling safe. Uh, and, you know, and so you need to be – and there have been places in our lives where maybe you could go and sit down and get a cup of coffee and feel kind of safe and you kind of knew the people around you. Maybe you knew the kind of place you were in. And, but Starbucks is, to me, almost implicitly a collection of strangers, mm-hmm. you know? It's I not mean, Central Park. Like, no. this is not <laughs> – it's, it's not your neighborhood coffee shop which Starbucks drove out, right? right? You know, if you lived down on, you know, First and Avenue A or something like that, <laughs> whatever coffee shop that was that you used to go to, it's a Starbucks now and there's something different about that and so in a way I think Schultz is asking Starbucks to be the thing that it actually drove out I mean every time I walked into a Starbucks this week with this uh, bizarre agenda on my mind I thought I don't know anybody here Mm. yeah it it is I went to Starbucks this morning to test this out and I, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty confrontational person, <laughs> and I chickened out on e- bringing it up. I just felt awkward. I got up there. I ordered my coffee. I could see they weren't writing anything on my cup. <laughs> and for a hot second, I thought, uh, 
And then I was just like, mm, so we're getting snow, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's white. Probably yeah. white. Yeah. <laughs> I thought maybe they And, I, you know, it's also, I think we were looking at some uh, sort of talking points, corporate talking points, or this is the way that you should introduce this. And perhaps if there were some things to help salve or, or emollient the conversation, it might not be so awkward, but Do there's the no employees... entree for them. Right. I mean, have they gotten any training in this? Are they given any sort of script or are they all supposed to wing it? Because well, it seems they got placed these cards in appropriate places to promote that this is happening, but no way to actually have the conversation, invite the conversation right. which, open. Which goes to su- the suggestion that it's there is a somewhat cynical motive in that it's a commercial thing that you don't really have to back it up with any kind of organization or actually, you know, sort of engage people in a serious way who work for you on your own staff and maybe even have a conversation about how white your board is and about, you know, <laughs> how how the management could actually do, set an example. But there's another thing that I'd sort of like to turn on its head a little about this idea of being safe. I think one of the most toxic things about racism is that in the past 10 years or so, or actually a little less than that, since um, Barack Obama became president, is the idea that it's uh, that that the presence of so much racism that is expressed has made it safe to act in ways like those uh, frat boys on the bus mm-hmm. in Oklahoma, that they did that because they felt safe to express those feelings amongst people who they felt would agree with them. And they, of course, came out and, you know, their lawyers and public relations people told them they had to say, oh, what a terrible mistake. My life is ruined and stuff like that. But actually, these are people who will one day actually have power. And, and they, they, they come from a power elite, many of these people. And they feel safe now to express those things. And what we're talking about is can you feel safe actually, you know, sort of having a conversation about substantive things like about why are they safe being racist? Mm. I, 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 go ahead. No, I was going to say it's interesting because I feel like that particular situation, they are always safe, have always been safe, and will continue to be safe to do yes. such an action. Yes. And so the conver- it's difficult to have the conversation there, which is really where that conversation, where the conversation needs to start, exactly. is, is with that power structure. Is right. is this appropriate? Can is there a way for me to find out that this is not appropriate and not take it as like a oh um, I'm being uh, I don't know what what I'm looking for that that they're looking down on my whiteness that right. they're putting me in a place right. I think it's that's a difficult that's a difficult well you're talking place. about really the substance of the conversation that you would actually have a substantive conversation about power and why it is for example that corporations which have very very few people of color or people who are not culturally diverse there are many many corporations who it's impossible to break into and therefore they're sort of looking down and trying to imply that they are not racist or that they're not they're not representing a culture in a bad way that prevents that conversation from happening. But and the base of this is that power has to cede power, and that's it's just... A, and they're not going to do it easily. Right, yeah. but the bottom line is, it's odd, because Starbucks, to me, is definitely not a place where I ever want to be spending extra time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you want to get in there, you want your coffee, you need to get on with your day, you need to move your life along, like, you don't want to... I actually dread social interaction 
with people. Like when I'm at the grocery store, I always want to use the self-checkout thing because I hate having to dialogue <laughs> with people. You don't say, did you read Ta-Nehisi Coates' pieces about reparations? Exactly. <laughs> to the exactly. people at, at, at Whole Foods? You don't, you know, mm-hmm. no. That's coming next at the self-checkout. Yeah. Believe me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, see, I actually think, I think that's what you're saying is significant just in the sense that, once again, I, I do think life, life has changed in, in, in a way that's, that kind of militates against the kinds of conversations we're talking about, right? That, I mean, there's this whole theory, you know, that the Enlightenment was fueled by coffee. That coffee is one of the reasons the Enlightenment happened because it, 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 coffee houses were new at the time. They provided an opportunity of people from different, slightly different anyway, social strata to gather and have conversations, which they would subsequently remember the next day as opposed to conversations they had in taverns. Um, And so (laughs) then coffee kind of charged up the mind and fired up the mind and got people wanting to talk, you know, and, and, and really did get people asking questions uh, about where authority was vested and stuff like that. But that was just a different time. We didn't have little devices that we sat staring at and playing with. Now, when you go to Starbucks, if there's a couch, you're not sharing that. If someone's on that couch, you are not going to get down next to them and talk to them. Don't even tell me that you would. (laughs) Well, I I will say that. So uh, I, I did this twice. I apparently have more social courage than uh, Carolyn does, which <laughs> surprises me because I have no social courage and I'm a very awkward person. But so yesterday I was at the mall. Parentheses: I never go to the mall. This is just like a weird thing I did yesterday. Uh, I was at the mall and there's a Starbucks there, so I go up there and I say, "I said I would like um, a grande skim latte and I would like to talk about race." <laughs> No, I did. I actually said that. And so, exactly was the barista. Were you, yeah. you meerkatting this at yeah. the time? Yeah. Yeah, we're coming to that. But um, So there were four baristas there. And this, there was one of them who was kind of ready for this, you know, very smart young guy. And, and he said, you know, I mean, this is kind of a strange thing for us in terms of our, our, our overall partnership with Starbucks. and Because really, we're about creating inspirational moments through coffee. <laughs> And I, I thought, wow. He had every talking point. Partnership. Wrong, wrong yeah. script. Inspirational. Yeah. That's the script that I was talking about that yeah. they must have. Yeah. And then, then he said, but, you know, I mean, so I suppose what Howard Schultz is saying is that, you know, maybe coffee can really kind of unify us. And I mean, he, he sort of had – he didn't really want to talk about race. He told me that. Mm-hmm. But, but he was willing to talk about – what talk, what this whole thing was about as far as he was concerned, which I thought was pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I thought he did a pretty good job. And the other three two, three baristas went, yeah, Gail's the talker, you know, or something, <laughs> whatever his name was. Um, so um, so then this morning I went to the Bishop's Corner stopping job, uh, the Bishop's Corner Starbucks, and I went in and I said, I'd like a blah, blah, skim latte, and I'd like to talk about race. And the guy who was there at the cash register, who was, and I guess I have to say this because we're talking about race, probably, you know, a person of mixed race parentage, a young man. And he looked at me and he said, you what? And I said, I want to talk about race. (laughs) And he said, what do you mean? And I thought, oh, he didn't get this memo at all. So now I'm this random, creepy, weird, old white guy. (laughs) 911. Fortunately, there were other people around, other baristas going, "I, I know what he's talking about. I know what he's talking about. And they didn't, but it was like horrible. You know, it was like I really wanted to turn and run out of the Starbucks because I'd brought up this very strange thing that this poor young man, I mean, maybe, you know, he starts his shift on Fridays. He doesn't even come in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. He just didn't know about this. And, and I thought we'd both been put in this horrifically unfair position. But then we didn't talk about, like, you know, 
the, how the death penalty is unfair or anything like that. Uh, poor kid. He's like a representation <laughs> of <laughs> America. This is, this is one of the things that actually b- – b- that's why I feel sort of like that the whole thing is strange because if you have a large corporation which has thousands of outlets – Actually, getting something like that off the ground, if you were serious about it and you really wanted to have your workers know about it, mm. this takes months. Right. I mean, and you've got to have information sessions. You're going to have people complaining well, about it's it. It's interesting because diversity training is like the thing right now. Yeah. So you would think that this would be – Starbucks would take this as an opportunity to diversity train in big letters right, right. their yeah, they would partners. They some sort of retreat where they all would have <laughs> come up with their script – <laughs> and something actu- and, and actually have this discussion about why there's right. only one black person on the board. So that you don't have some right. poor employee feel accosted, <laughs> confused, and panic stricken. Yeah, yeah, right, absolutely. <laughs> and about how Facing much of his the, own racial yeah. makeup, kind of Colin. And how much of life their, ruined? Yeah. And how much? Well, I mean, I felt that was a relevant detail. But anyway, um, <laughs> it is absolutely the um, no, yeah, and they should just talk about how much of their latent wealth was created by, you know, 19th century and 18th century unpaid labor. Um, You know, everything. Put everything on the table. But, yeah, you can't just sort of flip a switch and get people talking about race. We do have a caller, a Chris, who I believe works at Starbucks. Hi, Chris. You're on the air. How's it going? Fine. You're on the air. Go ahead. Fire away. Well, I work at Starbucks. Um, We, um, at the beginning of the week, we were told to watch a training video on this. Oh, you watch a video? I, your phone's a little muddy, so I'm just making sure we understand. You just, they had you watch a video? You watch a training video. Yeah. Um, it's basically just Howard Schultz explaining what the uh, Race Together is. And, um, yeah, he just wants us to create a conversation and just to say what's on our, our mind. Um, How comfortable are you with that idea? I'm very comfortable. Mm-hmm. I've have you tried it yet? This. Yeah, Tanisha just asked, have you tried it yet? Um, a few customers have asked about it, and I've, I've engaged in that conversation, and uh, they've actually really enjoyed it. I've, I've never, I haven't yet to receive any negative comments about it. And, and so just really quickly, um, like when you, what do you wind up talking about? I mean, when, I, when somebody says talk about race, I mean, that's like a million different things. So what do you wind up talking about? Well, we didn't specifically talk about anything in, within um, race or what's going on, but they just want to know why we're doing it and where we're trying to take it. Um, and the point really is that there's no black, there's no white, there's no colors. We're all just a human race, and we all just need to get along and just be friends and love each other. Uh, well, I can't disagree with that. It feels like Benetton already did that. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Um, but you can't disagree with that. Um, all right. Well, I don't know. Anybody else? Uh, anybody have a button they want to put on this or should we move on? I yes, do Tanisha, think it's really interesting that the onus of this conversation has landed on the customers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In hearing yes. Chris talk, mm-hmm. it has been the customers coming to him saying, hey, what about this thing? Um, and I just find that fascinating. I would like to say in neither case, and I don't want to sound like a grumpy uh, old white guy customer. In neither case was I offered a sticker. In fact, I, the stickers that I have for you, I stole. Um, 
But uh, they were sitting up on top of some big thing of beans, and I just took them down and <laughs> ripped three of them off. Um, I, so. I think there's a, there's a customer dynamic that doesn't work there because you're not going to have – the corporation itself is not going to encourage its workers to it, initiate this in a way that might upset their customers possibly. Mm-hmm. So they – I'm sure that it must have been made clear that you sort of like put out the sticker or you put out the cup or something like that or you, people are aware of it and then you respond to them. And 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 that is a dynamic that is not going to be particularly. I mean, it 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 has an awkwardness about it just in its very sort of structure. I think it's a sort of a flawed thing. I, I can think of so many other things that a powerful person who runs a corporation could actually do that would actually get some sort of traction in the market that would say we need to deal with these issues. We True. need to talk about those but things. But in thinking about it, I mean. I guess it is probably better to let the customer initiate because, I mean, it would feel – imagine every time you go to get coffee, you have to engage <laughs> in a conversation. <laughs> that I guess I think that they feel like that might be too high pressure. But at the same time, I think making the customer initiate is not – I agree that there, there should have – there can be other ways that this can work, but I can understand why they're probably leaving this up to the customer. And to Gwen Eiffel's point, you're not going to see, or I would be hard-pressed to believe, that you'll see a person of color who's going to come to the (laughs) barista and say, hey, let's have this conversation about race, unless you are an insider. And and to Carolyn's point, usually when you're at Starbucks, there's 27 people in line behind you. Yeah, um, yeah. That's true. Yeah, this is what I'm saying. Like, the last thing you moving. want is that person take I mean, don't you get so mad when people are like using like their gift cards and they have like twelve gift cards and they're swiping <laughs> them through? So if there's like an epic conversation going on, even if it's meaningful and, and, and a conversation that needs to be had, I don't really think the line at Starbucks is where we need to be having it. All so. right. Let's uh, yeah, go ahead. Finish this up, Tanisha. Oh, oh no, so, no, I hadn't. I, oh, somebody. Well, I, I was, I was, I was going to suggest finishing. one other thing we could yeah. do is like, uh, like I'll go to Chick-fil-A and ask uh, the, <laughs> yes. the, the customers about same, the, the, uh, <laughs> the, the workers about same-sex marriage. Right. Oh, or Hobby Lobby. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, you can I'll go take, to ho- I'll take my knitting to Hobby right. Lobby. Go to Hobby Lobby and say, I'm buying these supplies to make something for a gay wedding. What do you recommend? I need every yes. color of the rainbow. Yes, yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, you know, when you look at it that way, maybe Starbucks isn't so bad. Um, I don't like their coffee. All right. We'll uh, take a break. We'll come back. All right, we are back, uh, and this is the nose, and uh, that's Tanisha Dugan, and that's uh, Carolyn Payne, and that's James Hanley, uh, and we're all talking about. We've been talking about race at Starbucks. We're going to move on. Um, this is a slightly overtalked topic. On the other hand, because it sort of came to a resolution this week, and because in fact uh, people are still uh, sort of personally and uh, on an inner basis not all that resolved about it, and because it also links to another related topic. I decided we would bring it up. So uh, just to retrace our steps here, there's going to be a new minor league baseball team in Hartford. It's a double-A baseball team. That created an opportunity for a new name to be bestowed upon the team, which used to be known as the Rock Cats. 
Um, so there was at least nominally some kind of, in my opinion, faux participatory system in which I think 6,000 people supposedly suggested various names, made nominations. That list was winnowed down to 10 and then down to 5. Um, there was actually quite a bit of national coverage about this the list of semifinalists, mainly um, because it was so bad. Um, and we wound up with the name the Yard Goats. Uh, so we, were, we will have the Hartford Yard Goats playing. And sort of you know, in the middle of all this, there was this kind of public outcry of, wait, 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 these are not the names we want. We want other names. There were a lot of names that were suggested that were a little bit more Hartford-specific or related to history somehow. Uh, nobody seemed to want to hear about those. Uh, and, and now we have Yard Goats. Um, and, and so this is going to uh, link also in our conversation, just so you can get ready in case you want to call up uh, about this at 860-275-7266. I think this also links up in a way to what happened in West Hartford this week where the Board of Education uh, decided in a very sort of bifurcated way to try to deal with that um, always pressing problem of Native American-themed sports teams. Um, so, but we'll start with the Yard Goats. Um, and um, I don't. I barely even know where to begin, except that I mean, d- does anybody not dislike this name? I mean, uh, how about you? you? Could you be okay with a yard goat hat and a? I, I'm. I hate to say this. I mean, I'm kind of okay with it because mm-hmm. don't hate to say that. Yeah, I, I do because when I first heard about it, I was I was outraged, but then I was researching other. Um, you know, farm league teams, mm-hmm. and they have names like the Rubber Ducks. Some city has yeah, that would be Akron. Yes, yeah, and um, I mean, I I think it's at the end of the day, like they're gonna be able to market this all over the place. Like you're gonna have stuffed goats, people wearing goat hats, goat shirts. You know, you're gonna have what like about goats. The train. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, even though yard goat is. Some sort of train machinery engine. Yeah, engine. it's a train engine. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> 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 Whatever. But nobody knows. No. Yeah. But you see, you already have like Thomas the Tank Engine, so you can't like make <gasps> that cute. And no, that's that's that not going to be, be the logo of the team. I mean, let's be honest. The logo of the team is going to be some kind of some cute square-eyed goat, yeah, comical-looking goat. Yeah. And they're going to have to have a supply of baby goats, and you know. And then occasionally, normal. somebody will pause and explain the railroad connection. First of all, Hartford. Hartford is not particularly a railroad town and, and really never was, I mean, any more than any other town in, say, the early 20th century was a railroad town. So I don't know. I mean, Maybe but, this is a campaign to become more of a well, it could be. train town. I mean, I'm, well, there's no way to get away from the idea that tr- Hartford is on the way to other places in terms of the train. <laughs> I think this just Sorry, emphasizes that you know yeah. Hartford is the pass-through between Boston and New York. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's great. The trains should stop here. Don't get me wrong. But, I mean, to imply that somehow <laughs> this is stop a, here a Cathedral of rail and that we celebrate rail. I don't think so. Names that you have to explain are not good names. For example, the Fort Wayne Tin Caps, which is kind of a nice little name and it's made a little bit nicer if you know that Johnny Appleseed is buried in Fort Wayne and he wore a pot on his head um, and like a kitchen pot on his head. And that's why they're called the Tin Caps. But there's no way to explain that unless in fewer than three sentences. And it's kind of so that the yard goat railroad thing, I don't know, I'm not buying that. I mean, 
No, I think I think it's just I mean, I think this whole thing started because the only way to get major notice is to do something that is like really striking in a good way or else something with really bad names. And are really we back to your Starbucks theory? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're, you're getting noti- you're getting people to notice. Everybody's right. argues it about it news. and yeah. they think about it. And then in the end, they end up with a name like Yard Goats. And sure that I mean, it brings in the possibility of baby animals, uh, children, children bring their parents and so it, it makes a lot of commercial sense and I don't think the way things are now with the uh, electronic universe that's always on the names and historic connections don't mean so much anymore it's just something that what will get people's attention does anyone know what the other choices were I seem to be under a rock when this national conversation was happening of well, Options. there was the praying mantises. The hedgehogs. There was a fear that the praying mantis mascot would be frightening to children, so would militate <laughs> against the very thing they're trying to do. And it's uh, illegal to kill them, so. Yeah. Well, that's just, you know, that's another. They uh, are terrifying. Hartford River yeah. hogs was, enough, was, was a possibility, which at least connected to the Hog River. Uh, hound dogs, um, whirly birds, choppers. Um, so it know, seems I, I, like there were other options for farmhouse animals. Oh, yeah. If having an animal was important. Honey, was it honey badger? Honey badger, honey badger was one of them, yeah. I like that. What is a honey badger? And honey badger don't care. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a honey badger is A, an African animal, and B, a meme. There's a meme. Yes. I'll oh. send you a video Well, that's later, what I was James. wondering, whether it was the meme or the real animal. Yeah, it was the meme, I think. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> our meme. Glad we got that sorted out. We're going to name our baseball team after a meme. That's right. brilliant. Um, and, and I mean, I, I can't I, wait to dress up. <laughs> First of all, Carolyn, I think in one of her emails, you like mapped out all the promotional things that are going to happen. Oh, absolutely. It's <laughs> just like I said, I mean, there's going to be like hats that have goat heads on them. Like I'm picturing like, you know, those yeah. like Mickey hats, right, but it'll yeah. be a goat. I, I need a cut of this when this all happens. And during the, the seventh inning, they'll like yeah, run a goat. Yeah, during the seventh inning stretch, there are going to be like goats on the. And the goats will eat the trash. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's yeah. going to be great. Yeah. It's an easy uh, yeah. recycling option. Yeah. And, and the crowd is going to be able to. Bleat like goats when they get excited. They They're going to bang, bang. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sort of well. Hey. I, we, I, I'll be the James Hanley here and say one of the things that I realized as this process was unfolding was that the, first of all, this whole idea that it was a contest and that there was public participation and people were voting was all a sham. And really, what was going on is there's literally a logo company in San Diego that was already involved. There's a consultant who's worked for a lot of minor league baseball teams. He works out of Pennsylvania. Uh, they they were involved in this, and that really the way you win this game is to create a logo that you, that will enable you to sell merchandise even to people who don't care about your baseball team or live in your community. In other words, if you can have a cool enough looking yard goat baseball hat, you can sell that to people. On, like you know, Montgomery has the Montgomery biscuits, you know, and they have this very funny looking biscuit logo <laughs> and stuff. And like I you know, like I would. I could I could see wearing a biscuit hat. Uh, so that's that's how you win this game, and it right. really is absolutely in in Henley, in the most stark Henley-esque terms. This is completely <laughs> about money. It's as ahistorical as it possibly could be, and and I also think whoever said people don't care about the history anymore are they're right. Like one of the popular ideas, just to get back to our previous conversation about Starbucks, was the Hartford Colts. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually explained online a couple of times. I mean, not only are our cities kind of plagued by gun violence, so that's not that cool, but Colt was really a horrible man. Yeah. You know, yeah. In, in every possible way. And he sold munitions to the South right up to the day the, the shots were fired on Fort Sumter. He was an anti abolitionist. 
You know, I mean, he'd be somebody that you'd be talking about to about Starbucks, sitting at Starbucks, talking about why we shouldn't honor Sam Colt. <laughs> that would be a good Starbucks conversation about right, race. Exactly. Um, I think you hit it right on. It is totally perfect for marketing. I think one of our our local companies has already said we can't wait to make a goat tea. Which is like, you know. Oh, that's Hartford Prince. We love Hartford Prince. And I, absolutely. I, I hope Hartford Prince hipster, does make a lot of money. And it is the hipster stamp. They'll get sued by the owners of the uh, Hartford Yard Goats. Oh, not at all. The Solomon Brothers will go after them. But, um, but, but yeah. It is, it, is, it is a total perfect hipster, uh, millennial kind of fun play on words. It, yeah. The other thing that it, 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 it conjured up inside me is the whole issue or the question of if you don't like something – and you lose. I do think that at a certain point you do have to – unless there's a real moral issue. You have to lay down your arms and participate for the good of the community. So like I say this to people who really hate the idea of the Hartford New Britain busway. It's built, all right? <laughs> so root for it to work now. Don't root against it. And I guess I feel that way about, the, uh, about this baseball team. I didn't like the process by which the baseball team arrived here. Um, and I don't like the name of the baseball team. But I'm, you know, even stuff you guys are saying. I mean, I think you have to at a certain point. You got to root for the baseball mm-hmm. team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now in West Hartford, uh, they were struggling with a different problem, an older problem, a Starbucksy kind of older problem, uh, and that was that uh, both of their high school uh, football teams or sports teams in general uh, are named after n- sort of Native American themes. One of them is the Warriors. The other one's the Chieftains. One of them kind of dealt with this a couple of years ago, uh, but they were still having problems, and they had. A seemingly unrelated problem in which I think anti-Semitic taunts were being yelled during a soccer game, and they thought we need to have one of those Howard Schultz conversations about racial sensitivity, uh, and uh, we need to have that uh, concern also these mascots. So they've taken the rather unusual <laughs> step of getting rid of the Native American insignia from the sports. Uh, uniforms and, and other apparel of each team. And I guess they also had like pep squads uh, and things like that, which had names like the reservation, uh, which I, I would encourage them to get rid of, uh, <laughs> which, and which they're going to. They're not going to call their pep squad or whatever it was, the reservation, uh, and, uh, and the tribe. Yeah, they have uh, the reservation and the tribe. But they're going to keep the names, the chieftains and the warriors. So but the theory being, well, I mean, anybody could be a warrior, right? So I don't know. Can anyone be a chieftain? Well, then it, gets yeah. a, it gets a little bit more complicated there. <laughs> so I don't know. Far enough? Not far enough? Why not? I don't know. I was born in D.C., and that was the whole thing with the Redskins, and I was a Redskins fan forever, and I totally get why it's insensitive because really would we want a team called the Negroes? That would be definitely difficult. Um so I don't know. I don't know. And, and if, if it's difficult and one can perceive that these things were a bad idea, why can't you just totally let it go and not right. retain symbols of it like the names, like chieftains and warriors, yeah. as if you're saying, well, it was just these troublesome people who got on our case, you know, wouldn't <laughs> let us use the picture. But don't worry. We're still here. It's kind of like a nod and a wink. I, I, I think that's really unfortunate. I think there's a real uh, a chance there to actually let it all go and actually actually have young people actually learn something from that, that this is something we've moved past and that it has bad associations and we don't want to celebrate that. And actually make it a clean break. And but to what they've it done to our is last conversation. Yeah, and yes. they can actually they do can it. They can pick a cute actually, animal exactly. to be their logo and yeah. their mascot, and yeah. just you know, I I, th- I I just think that that would be easier. I mean, my high school was the Tigers. 
You don't well, get it would anything. not only be easier, it's actually in- integrity it that shows says that, that because you've had that but conversation. Because right. what they've done now is kind of, like you said, it's sort of this divide that makes it awkward. It almost has the echoes silly. of a sort of dog whistle kind of thing, right. you know, that I find so repugnant now. It's, it's like, we'll go this that, far, but yeah, not. Yeah, exactly. That you're, you're, you're really telling people that it's okay, don't worry, we haven't really let go of this right. racist idea. It's still there. Yeah, no, the name kind of becomes a placeholder for all the other baggage that they've kind of swept behind the curtain. And the name is worse. You know, I think to wear, to show me a replica of a Native American is one thing because there's representation. Mm -hmm. But to just keep the name is almost saying like, well, let's not look at them. But we can but still we can call still it. Use, yeah, yeah <laughs> I would have felt it. better about this had they just pulled their name entirely and gone with something else. It, yeah. I, I, I do feel that they just didn't do what they needed to do if they're going to make that change. See, right. n- not to put a sort of Papulian through line through all of these topics, but I do feel as though, you know, Howard Schultz, he's got it wrong, but he's on the right track, mm-hmm. which is that what we're really not doing is having these kinds of conversations. Right. Uh, and, and we are becoming very ahistorical. Um, you know, that, that it really, really is, it would be interesting and worthwhile to have a conversation about why you wouldn't want to name your team Colt. You know, the Colts, you know, either because of the gun part of it or because of who Samuel Colt really is and help people understand that. And maybe there's a different perspective on that that's worth discussing. And similarly, it seems like what we do now is have this conversation which really breaks down between, you know, kind of people who want to be enlightened and people who are diehard traditionalists and uh, and who complain about everybody being too PC and use a lot of other slogans and catchphrases about this as opposed to – I mean, the other day I started doing some research into the Quinnipiacs. Mm. Quinnipiacs got really screwed. There actually was sort of a Quinnipiac Trail of Tears like 150 years before there was the Cherokee Trail of Tears. And the Quinnipiacs really got just ravaged in a lot of really unfortunate ways. And so there's a name that's floating around all the time. It's the name of a national political poll because it's the name of a university. But we don't really talk about it. Who, who were the Quinnipiacs? Yep. You know, and to me, that's what would be useful is that, I mean, that's why I say Howard Schultz is right. Have these conversations, yeah. but don't have them with 25 people waiting for their macchiatos. And how you. interesting would it be to name a high school team after the Quinnipiacs, have that conversation and make that a part of the fighting spirit of, of a team? Mm-hmm. If there's a conversation, if there's a background to it, you can say, ah, this is why we're here and, this, and we're enlightening this story, this right. American yeah. story. Yeah. Otherwise, once again, it's sort of like the name, even a name like Chieftain or Warrior, not only is it a placeholder for a whole bunch of baggage that people don't want to talk about, it's not a real – it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. As, you're, as you're suggesting, Quin, the name Quinnipiac would mean something. Um, all right, we've got just enough time for uh, yet another conversation. South by Southwest is taking place this week. It's where all the hip and cool people go and all, also all the people who want to be with the hip and cool people. It is a festival uh, uh, about uh, film. It's a festival about music. It's in Austin, Texas. I think it started with, with music. Uh, film was added. And tech became sort of a third component of it. And, and as somebody said in an email this week, it might have been you, Carolyn, tech is winning Somehow or other. Are you the one who said I can't remember who said this. But like more and more, the, whatever the, what, whoever emerges as the tech victor. I mean, Twitter in 2009 really yeah. caught fire at South by Southwest and became a thing in a way that it hadn't been before. Uh, and Foursquare to a certain degree, even though we could argue that Foursquare never did become quite a thing. But to whatever extent that it did, it emerged in 2009. Um, and so this year what's emerged, uh, the, the, and I, I should say that since then, all the things that quote-unquote 
one South by Southwest, all the tech apps are things you've never heard of. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you would not recognize the names if I told you. Um, but something called Meerkat uh, came out this time. And do you want to try to explain Meerkat? Well, I, I can now yeah. after extensive research. It took me a long time to wrap my head around what Meerkat was, an embarrassingly long time. I had to read a couple articles. Essentially, it links to your Twitter, and it allows you to be uh, live streaming a short video clip of what you're seeing. So it's like Vine, except it's just live, and it goes right to your Twitter. And uh, so you're, it's kind of making – it's that idea of that everyone's a journalist in in – on planet Earth. And it doesn't seem to have a time limit. I think that's one yeah. of the things yeah, that makes it different. Yeah, you can just hold you that there hold and forever. just record and record mm-hmm. and, you know, share whatever experience you're having live via Twitter. And, and since I'm much older than Carolyn and my brain is like 75% coral, it took me even longer uh, to understand uh, what this was. And so a key component to it is that the way that you would encounter this is if you were the kind of person who followed or otherwise encountered uh, Tanisha Dugan in your Twitter stream, it would say, you would see on Twitter, Tanisha has a meerkat going right now. You know, it might even tell you she's got a meerkat. She's at the nose right now and she's meerkatting the nose. And so you'd be on Twitter. You'd click on the link embedded in her tweet and then you'd go to this live stream video unless she had stopped doing it two minutes ago, in which case you'd get nothing. Um, so we are being told that this could revolutionize everything. Everything can change. Everybody at South by Southwest is doing this. The world is not going to be the same. Political campaigns are going to be transformed. Um, I may be the Pollyanna in this, but I actually think that there's a potential for it to really uh, revolutionize some things. Mm-hmm. The problem with it right now is that, like you said, you must be following the person to get that particular live stream. Mm-hmm. But the idea, as we talk about things like police brutality, that you could meerkat or live stream something that's happening in real time, that when I think of uh, the Arab Spring, we were hearing that stuff on Twitter, but to be able to see it live is a whole different uh, possibility. So I, so Meerkat, to me, is interesting. I don't want to see you as you look at your new apartment. That's not interesting to me. I'm fascinated by the concerts that are happening at South by Southwest. So being able to sort of be there but not be there is cool. But I am on board minutia. with this uh-uh. in that it will take away people's tweeting like <laughs> they will. No, it won't. <laughs> it, I won't have to it's a hear tweeting their, amplifier. I won't have to hear their inane comments on Twitter. I'm hope you know. Then it'll just be I can just witness it, and I won't have to read their. The personal. Twitter, the Twitter subtitle, the tweets, the subtitle tweets will be next. Believe me. Because <laughs> I, I mean, everyone, everyone knows I'm not a fan of Twitter. Mm. I, I, I hate it actually. But, uh, and one of the reasons I hate it is because like. You know, everyone thinks they're a comedian. Everyone thinks that their commentary is brilliant, that they're a Twitter liberty. And at least this, like, you're just experience. you know, you're, they're just a vessel through which you can experience what is going on, and you don't have to have their commentary. So I do like that aspect of this. I mean, it does seem to be that people manage to get a lot of video out of Tahrir Square or Ferguson or stuff like that. Yeah. And I feel as though the convenience of this, it, that in two seconds you're suddenly, suddenly videoing. I think you're right, Denisha, that there are going to be some occasions where some important social function is going to be uh, honored and, and amplified by yeah. this. But I think it's going to be dwarfed by, look at this fat, la- look at this fat lady <laughs> at the hot food Cats, bar at right. Whole Foods or something like that. Yeah, you're, you're going to have to endure a lot of that. But if you look at what happened, I think it's Marquise Johnson at the University of Virginia, who was beaten up on camera mm-hmm. by alcohol police with guns. 
Um, you know, and and this was a violent assault with people screaming at the police while this was happening. And the fact that that's immediately available means that those sort of streaming services, they have an important function. But anything that is going to be streaming lots of stuff like at South by Southwest, at some point, somebody has to pay for the pipeline and that's going to be advertising. And so it will be subsumed into the advertising universe. And so it'll have to wait till the next thing comes along. I mean, that's what's happened historically with virtually everything. And it will be part of that same universe. And it seems like it's really important. But the the, the unfortunate thing that happens down the line is that then it's harder for things like the uh, streaming of a violent incident or some bad behavior by public officials, that then gets frozen out. And so, um, you know, right now it's kind of a golden moment for all of those things because nobody is really directly paying for that pipeline. Um, and so it is revealing important things to us because if you read that story about uh, the student beaten up at UVA in the paper, it's like, well, another story, you know, badly yeah. behaving police. But I can tell you watching that video, See watching yeah. it, it's visceral and shocking that, wow, that's right on a sidewalk. Same with the guys, on the, the fraternity mm -hmm. guys on the bus. Exactly, the exactly right. right. All right, we have to take a little break. I do have to, do have to say that the other thing that we learned from South by Southwest this week, courtesy of <laughs> Carolyn Payne, is that the the person that you're talking to on Tinder, who seems so amiable and pleasant and maybe even fun to go out with, may turn out to be a robot. That was also done this week uh, at Tinder. finally figured out Meerkat, and the first video I opened was a guy saying that Meerkat is over. Today's show was produced by Colin McEnroe and me, Kyone Wolf. Our intern is Kelsey Bissell. Greg Hill appeared in the intro and tweets for us at WNPR Colin. Katie Talarski is our executive producer. The part of Bill Curry was played by Ludacris. For show pages, articles, and Meerkats of the Faith Middleton Show staff saying, what is Meerkat? Visit our website, WNPR.org. On Monday's show, The Scramble. And now... Back to Colin. We haven't quite decided the scramble yet, but that's in the nature of the beast. Although, Monica Lewinsky's TED Talk uh, about public shaming. I, I, uh, how can we not go there? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so I think we probably will. Okay, time for endorsements. Uh, James, why don't you get us started? Um, we have a week of crime at Cine Studio uh, from the 1970s and 1980s. Uh, Los Angeles in Inherent Vice on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. And then next Wednesday through Saturday, we have a most violent year about the 1980s New York. Uh, so a thoroughly uh, visceral experience uh, for the next week. And also a book I've been reading, I uh, haven't quite finished it yet, but it's really provocative, called The Internet is Not the Answer by Andrew Keene, um, which is a really interesting analysis of how all of the technology has sort of crept up together. And we haven't really connected it with real consequence in ways that this book does. Um, the really fascinating book, The Internet is Not the Answer. All right. Tanisha, what have you got? I'm endorsing what I call neo-anthem music. It starts with Common and John Legend's glory, um, moves into D'Angelo's Black Messiah, and ends with Kendrick Lamar's latest to pimp a butterfly. Uh, if you want to know what uh, black America, how black America is thinking about race right now, I would suggest listening to all three, uh, that song and those two albums. Is there one that in particular you could just sing or rap at Starbucks just to kind of get things rolling? I actually think 
Any of them? Any of them. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to start a nice conversation, do some D'Angelo. All right. I love the D'Angelo yes. um, CD. It is amazing. All right. All right. Um, oh, I, actually, you've got a linguistic problem here. Yes, I have a linguistic problem with my endorsement. I can't actually say what I want to endorse, but so it'll be kind of like a little guessing game. Um, I would like to endorse a new show uh, with Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara, who are just two brilliant uh, comedians. They they just are amazing. And Eugene Levy's son actually wrote this show. For uh, for Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara, and it is so funny. I can't say the name of it, but it's well. Uh, so you can say the second word in the name. It ends with creek. <laughs> Use your imagination. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, the, the the it's just brilliant, and it's on some bizarre network I've never even heard of. But you're on demand. I'll have it, or you can watch it online. Just check it check it out. Sit back and enjoy. Good, lazy afternoon activity. All right. Well, the first thing that I'm going to do is invite you on April 8th on Wednesday night to come and join me and David Edelstein at Watkinson School for the last in this year's series of Freshly Squeezed Conversations. It's usually me and three other people, but uh, with David, there's no point in having other people. I mean, just so he and I will just be up there uh, talking about and possibly arguing about movies, and there's a wonderful little dinner uh, that you're invited to beforehand. Get in touch with Watkinson School, watkinson.org, about this um, event. Uh, it's Wednesday, April 8th. We'd love to have you there. One of the movies that I can guarantee you that David and I will be talking about is the movie Two Days in One Night, which is actually... The title is actually in French, um, and uh, it's a movie that he loved this year, which I saw in James's theater on Monday night. Unfortunately, unfortunately, you can no longer see it at Trinity Cine Studio, as he's just suggested. They've moved on, uh, but uh, but see it somehow. It's a Marianne Cotillard, and she uh, plays a worker at uh, like a solar panel fa- small factory where she's essentially been threatened with the loss of her job, and the only way she can keep her job is if her co-workers vote to give up a 1,000-euro bonus that each one of them will otherwise be getting. So she spends a weekend going from worker to worker trying to talk them into uh, allowing her to keep her job. And it's really an incredible meditation on humanity. You get to sort of see everybody else and all their problems uh, and the way they process this request. But it's also kind of about work, too, and about the way we are kind of forced to fight for our jobs, uh, often against each other and unattractive ways. A couple of quick TV. Um, I want to thank uh, Mark Oppenheimer for guest hosting last week. I wish I'd been a panelist. They talked about the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Uh, I could talk for hours about the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt uh, and uh, still keep going. It's, it is, I love Tina Fey and I think she's revolutionizing comedy at least a, in a certain way. And then I would also recommend um, a somewhat obscure show called American Crime. It's written by John Ridley, the guy who did the 12 Years a Slave, wrote the what, 12 Years a Slave. I'm pretty hooked on that, too. Uh, and uh, some very run-down people trying to deal with the American criminal justice system. That's all we have time for. Thanks to James, Tunisia, and Carolyn. We'll be back with The Scramble on Monday. Who had the grande tea shall overcome and the short police brutality? That was me, but I also ordered a tall brew the right thing. Oh, sorry, I had you confused with the guy who ordered the tall million macchiato march. Here you go, man. Have a good one. And um, don't be racist. Okay.